And this is a good news story because it shows, shines right into the heart of our Lord. It lets us see what is in him, that when he is confronted, and he was confronted, such was the, the merging of these two processions, such were the details that they came, they met at that gate, and the Lord, well, he just didn't stand back aloof and say, I, I don't care. No, he looked at that weeping woman, and he had compassion on her, and he said, Weep not. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak, and that was an extract from our sermon today, The Widow's Son Rears. We're going to Luke chapter 7, a sermon preached in our church here on the power of the Lord Jesus doing multitudes of miracles, authenticating the gospel. Have you ever thought about uh, one who claimed to be a prophet and never did a miracle? One who came from God and yet did not perform something that would mark miraculous workings? Well, the Lord Jesus, is his life and ministry was the exact opposite. He performed more miracles than men could record because John said that the, the world would not contain the books that would need to be written and the amount of information required to record all the miracles of the Lord Jesus was beyond the realm of possibility. The Lord is God, and therefore he wrought the works of God in his earthly ministry. We'll be looking at that in our message here today. We have a hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Oh, the love of Jesus, when he went to the cross, poured out his blood, and gave himself unto salvation. We begin with a few thoughts today on the book of Romans, chapter 117. We have a question answer here. And the question is, what is the key word in the gospel according to Paul in the book of Romans? I'm going to give you four options here. Is it the word gospel, the word mercy, the word love, or the word righteousness? And the last one is the answer, the word righteousness. That's the key word in the book of Romans, and it's found 39 times in that short epistle. Now, what is the meaning of righteousness, the righteousness of God that is mentioned here in Romans 1.17, where Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the righteousness of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And we need to define this. Well, let's give you a few options here. What is the meaning of the righteousness of God? Is it A, something that empowers us to live like the Lord Jesus? Or is it something that man produces on his own? Or something that God alone produces and provides? And again, the last one is the correct answer. The righteousness of God is something that God alone produces, and he provides as a gift, because after all, salvation is all of grace. It is God's gift unto his people by grace, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, what do we need to learn about the term 
righteousness that is found here in Romans 1.17. Well, firstly, it is translated from the Greek word dikaiosune, dikaiosune, which means to declare righteous. It is something that is revealed by God to men through the gospel, by the message of salvation as presented in the Bible and the New Testament. This is something God reveals. It's not something that men figure out on their own, but God reveals it as a message to be received by faith. And of course, it is bestowed by the instrument of faith. God bestows gift of faith. He opens the eyes of our hearts to take in the good news that we are justified by faith alone on the grounds of that perfect righteousness provided by God. And also it enables a sinner to live by faith, to cease from ourselves and put our complete and total trust in the name of the Lord. Now, this term righteousness of God is not new in the New Testament, but it is also found in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. And this is the gospel. Man is not saved by his own works. He's not saved by his own abilities, but he is saved by the grace of God. Take that to heart. Go to Romans 1.17, read the text, Get down to the the sense of God's meaning in the message of the gospel. And may the Lord minister to your heart today as we let the Bible speak. Back at Luke 7, verse 11, and this account of the resurrection 
of this widow of Nain's son. The Lord Jesus had three resurrection miracles. You know the resurrection of Lazarus. I'm sure that would immediately come to mind. And we'll call that the case of the neatly wrapped corpse. You can think of uh, Lazarus as the Lord said, come forth, and they had to unwind him with all uh, the, the clothing that was around him. Then there's the resurrection of Jairus' daughter, and we'll call her the case of the never-to-walk damsel. They thought she was dead. Indeed, she was dead. And yet the Lord said, uh, Talitha kumai, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And she got up, and we learned that she walked. Tonight we come to the case of the widow's son, the case of the nearly buried son. Almost, almost. Now, the miracle of Lazarus' resurrection, if you think of the map of Israel, it took place at Bethany, which is very, very close to the city of Jerusalem, very, very close to that major city. The resurrection of Jairus' daughter, if you think of the map again, was away up at the northern corner of the Lake of Galilee at the city or the area of Capernaum. This miracle of the resurrection of the widow of Nain's son took place in Nain, near Nazareth, which was up in the hill country, away up north, about eight miles southeast of the city of Nazareth. Now, Luke was the only gospel writer that recorded this miracle. I'm sure he, being a medical doctor, would have particular interest in this case. Could you imagine? All the faculties that had died, sight, blood circulation, nervous circulation, all the whole system dead, and the Lord just raises them to life. I'm sure Luke was absolutely fascinated with this case. Now, Luke also recorded the resurrection of Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead. But strangely enough, he didn't record the resurrection of Lazarus. You have to go to John's gospel for that. So we learn from this that these gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were somewhat selective in what they wrote in their Gospels. They had different purposes for writing, and they chose certain things, and they left out other things. And as John said, that if all the miracles that Jesus performed and all that he taught there wouldn't, was written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world. The world wouldn't contain the books. And so, if a Gospel writer was not selective, he could never complete the task of writing an account from Jesus' birth right through to his resurrection and the closing details of his life after the resurrection. Now, the question might arise then, were there other miracles that Jesus performed that are not written by any of these four gospel writers? And that 
becomes something outside of the Scripture record. And we don't know. We don't know. We, we might say, well, he performed so many miracles, like his healing miracles were in their hundreds and hundreds of miracles of healing. Let me give you just a few verses on that. Matthew 4, 24. I'll read this for you. Uh, and his fame went throughout all Syria. Uh, that's not even Israel. Now, that's, that's a neighboring country, Syria. And they brought into him all sick people that were taken with divers, diseases, and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. Now, can you imagine the, the power of healing that went from the Lord to heal such a variety of cases, and he healed them. Another reference in Matthew 12, 15, Jesus knew it. He withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. He healed them all. Luke 4, 40 says, Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. The absolute multiplication of miracles is staggering in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And it tells us that these were verifiable by the sheer numbers. You know, if you're talking about some preacher, some religious character, he, he arrives in town, and he holds a meeting, and there were two people that got healed, and he left town again. Well, you'd have to follow up and make sure that this was a genuine case. But I don't think there was anybody in Judea, anybody in these uh, areas, that didn't know someone who was deathly sick, had a disease, or was lame, or blind, or had some medical problem that had not been miraculously healed by the Lord. It must have impacted upon the whole nation the amount of miracles the Lord Jesus did. Now, these three resurrection miracles, uh, they must have special significance. They certainly add weight to the, the gospel, for at the heart of the gospel is that Jesus came to give life to dying sinners. And that's the whole purpose for coming into this world, to give eternal life. And Jesus, in this way, demonstrated that he could do what he came to do, to give life to the dead. And as we come to this one, well, it's an absolutely good news story. Has there ever been anything like it in the history of the world, where one who was going to his funeral is made to live and they have to cancel the funeral? The only thing that comes close to it is in the days of Elisha, who had been the servant of Elijah, and raised up the boy that had died uh, from that home that he was staying in. But what an amazing, an amazing thing. So this is a good news story. And I want us to look at that that way. And I want us to look at this account and see the good news that just bubbles up out of this account. Forgive my imagery there. Bubbling up uh, seems a little foreign to, 
to text, to words. But when you get your heart right into this event, you will see good news written all over this. Firstly, I see here, because Jesus was right on time. Right on time. Look at verse 12. And you will take particular heed to the gate of the city. It says, Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city. That tells me that our Lord was on the outside of the gate into this city, and he was going toward the gate. The word nigh has sometimes been translated at hand. So he wasn't, you know, 500 yards away, and he saw the gate at a distance. It would tell me that he was getting awfully close to the gate. And with every second and every step, he was getting closer and closer to that gate. And on the other side of the gate, which may not have been visible, on the other side, there was another party coming from within the city outward. And this was the funeral procession for this widow's son. And you can see now the, the, the two groups converging on the gate. One on the outside, and that's Jesus and his disciples and the, the many that followed him. It, it talks there about many followers coming with the Lord. They are approaching the gate from the outside, and then from the inside the city is the funeral procession, the mourners, and there was quite a contingency of them. But I read this, that it was the funeral procession that began to come out through the gate firstly. As the Lord came nigh unto the gate, behold, there was a dead man carried out, and he is on the way out. Now, you'll notice the word behold. Behold. Could you believe that? Just as these two parties were, were coming to the gate, the funeral procession began to come out. Or as Somebody would say, as fate would have it. No, 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 no. As God would have it. And Jesus did not miss the significance of this moment. He didn't brush off the, the providence of the moment. And he didn't stand back aloof and say, well, nothing can be done. He didn't just think about it and see what he could do later. No, he was right there for a purpose, because the Lord Jesus was just right on time. And the providence of the timing made this to be Jesus' hour. Now, a headline report in the newspaper might be, Funeral Cancelled at Nain, Minutes Before Interment. Can you imagine that? Or another headline might read, Almost Too Late, But Jesus Made It in the Nick of Time. And all of that puts the focus upon the timing of this event. Now, the Lord came not to stop the boy's death. That had already taken place. But he did come to stop the funeral and to stop the interment. And the Lord Jesus was right on time. Providence, coincidence, 
is really God working behind the scenes. And the Lord was right there at the right time. You know, the Bible is full of such good news stories of people whom Jesus met. The woman at the well, and you know John 4 begins with, Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He must. Why? He had an appointment. He had to be there. Lazarus, Mary and Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother had not died. And Jesus knew that he was ill, and he waited, and he said, this sickness is for the glory of God. The Lord didn't arrive late. And of course, when he raised him from the dead, he declared his own power and glory thereby. I think of another uh, meeting of the Lord, and that is Zacchaeus. You read of this in Luke 19, and this is the very last journey of our Lord through the city of Jericho. He's on the way to Jerusalem. He's soon to be crucified. And on his way through Jericho, that little man Zacchaeus goes up into the tree, and he's waiting to see the Lord. And the Lord comes and stops right there and looks up and calls his name. The Lord is right on time. Now, you and I have to know tonight that the Lord Jesus never makes mistakes about his timing. His timing is always right. God knows the day of our birth. He knows the day of our death. God knows all the events in between. He knows you in your sickness, and he knows all about you in the hour of temptation and trial. He leads you just right, and he brings those things into your life just at the right time. I think again of the Lord meeting Saul of Tarsus in the road to Damascus. When he was out to persecute Christians, the Lord met him right there. I look back on my own conversion, and I don't want to repeat all the details, but I have to marvel at the intervention of God at a very dark period in my life, after the passing of my father, within one year, I was sitting under the gospel week by week with a heart that had been dug deep through sorrow and loss, and the Lord was sowing the seed of the gospel in my heart. The timing, I look back and I marvel. I've read the story of John Newton, that wicked blasphemer, that ship captain, who in the midst of a storm cried out to God for mercy. There was an hour appointed for his conversion. And then recently we learned of the 97-year-old Hindu priest that was converted in Nepal. Talk about last minute, Eleventh hour, almost too late, but marvelously converted. And because of his age and because he was a priest, anyone that comes to him for counsel, he gives them the Bible and the gospel, they receive it. They receive it. Eleventh hour conversions? Well, I never recommend a trust in them, but they do happen. They do happen. Can Jesus ever be too late? While there's breath in a body, there's hope for salvation. 
And we need to take this to heart tonight. This ought to thrill our hearts. This is a good news story. Jesus comes bang on time. And he does that again and again and again in the hearts of his children. Now, secondly, this is a good news story because Jesus cared about this young man and the whole situation without being asked. Now, on the other accounts we've been learning, the healings and, and Jairus' daughter, uh, the Lord was pleaded with, do something. But in this event, the Lord was never even asked. Just look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, that is, the boy's mother, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Now, notice that the whole focus here is on the young man's mother, the widow. She must have been in an awful state. Being a widow, she had walked this way before. She had borne the pain and the agony of losing her husband, and now she was following the corpse of her son out through that city gate the same way to the same cemetery, going through the same ordeal, and it was her only son. She was going back to an empty house. And more than that, if you understand the Jewish culture, it was the end of the line for her family. No more offspring. The name of the family would die out. And that in itself was like a dark curse upon that home and family. And the Lord saw this woman in her abject need. And it tells us here that he had compassion on her. Nobody said anything to him. Nobody invited him to do anything. The woman didn't even, I'm not even sure if she would have recognized him, but the Lord spoke to her, weep not. Now, the Greek word for compassion here is that, that big, long word for bowels. And it, it, it really talks about the, the depth of compassion and sympathy which the Lord truly had in this situation. And we ask, does Jesus care? Does he really, really care? Do we have a friend in this time of need. And this is a good news story because it shows, shines right into the heart of our Lord. It lets us see what is in him, that when he is confronted, and he was confronted, such was the, the merging of these two processions, such were the details that they came, they met at that gate, and the Lord, well, he just didn't stand back aloof and say, I don't care. No, he looked at that weeping woman, and he had compassion on her, and he said, Weep not. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. 
This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdalefpc.ca, and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning, and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdalefpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdalefpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.